0: Hey, 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 how you folks doing out there? Um, Do you ever have one of those days where everything is going so right and then something happens and it throws you off? I'm not talking about anything that's, you know, devastation or devastating like uh, a death or anything like that. I'm talking maybe you tripped and you fell and you dropped your pizza or maybe you um, bumped into the corner and either broke your nose or got a black eye. Anyhow. Hopefully, you're not having one of those days. But if you are, take care of yourself. Okay, so today, my guest is Steve Wolf, and he is a longtime Hollywood professional. And he was into doing the special effects stunts more along the lines of pyrotechnics, fire. And so, why am I talking about fire and pyrotechnics? Well, today's topic is on fire prevention, more like forest fire steve wolf he is an inventor but like i said he also worked in hollywood but he's an inventor an entrepreneur and just uh, a, a guy who had the whereabouts to say hey i've got these special skills creating fire and i could put fire out what can i do for the general populace because of all the wildfires that are happening. Uh, just as an example, you know, in, in the U.S., we're talking annually about 300, 350-plus billion dollars in wildfire damage and it's only gonna keep going up because of all the you know the weather change from the dryness, the drought, the wind and things like that. And one of the things too that we kind of touch upon just a little bit is we had a really devastating forest fire in Colorado, the Marshall Fire. So you guys have probably heard about that. That happened in the month of December 2021. But that took and destroyed over a thousand homes. So You know, we've got to do something about the forest fires, the wildfires. Not only does wildfire cost a lot of money because of the destruction it causes, but it also takes lives. That includes livestock, wildlife, and human lives. So it's very, very important that we find a way to control, contain and put out these wildfires. So we're going to talk about his invention that he came up with. And his company, and I'm going to call it a group as well, is called Team Wildfire. So if you're ready, let's get ready to get into it. But not before I remind you, if you are a pet owner, please be a responsible pet owner and have your pets spayed or neutered. All right, let's go. So I'm just going to throw in real quick about Team Wildfire. It's because of your Hollywood experience and you're working with Special effects and things like that, and I'll let you get into it a little bit more. But um, you you came up with this thought, this idea about how to help firefighters fight wildfires. Now, I'm going to say wildfires, not your residential home fires, right? Because, yeah, because that would probably be a danger. (laughs) <laughs> and a whole yeah. different, a whole different ball game when you're talking about wildfires, forest fires versus uh, residential or, you know, in town type of thing.
1: I mean, uh, there's an overlap now, right? Because a lot of people are building on that wildland urban interface. Uh, you know, maybe as much as 40% of the homes now are bordering up on some kind of wildland. And so a residential fire can very quickly turn into a wildfire and vice versa.
0: Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that this way, but you are so right. And I, I, I put it to that we're encroaching upon the wildlife with our buildings. But yeah, uh, so we many are. people are buying property and building homes or developers are building homes in in the forest. Um, right. So,
1: Steve... They, yeah. I mean, they, they're building in areas that have traditionally burned, you know, every year, or every other year. I mean, just nature has a way of, you know, cycling through... Uh the biomass uh turning it back into carbon dioxide and nutrients, and then turning it back into trees, and this cycle's gone on for you know hundreds of thousands of years yeah uh, and people have decided, hey let's put a house there and then and then, when the house burns down, like hey, why didn't you put our house out uh, you know a, a lot of this really comes down to urban planning and personal choices about where they put their houses.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, going with that, a lot of times you don't have uh, city water, so you don't have fire hydrants. You've got wells and things like that. What are you going to do? You've got a little two-inch hose. It's not going to do much of anything, right?
1: No, it's not. Now, you've got to create that defensible space around your home, uh, which just means that, you know, no vegetation within five feet, you know, no trees within 30 feet, nothing majorly flammable within 100 feet you can look up the codes that are developed you know for your area but that idea of defensible space where you don't put your house you know smack up against the burning trees there's some wisdom there (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) so with uh, wisdom comes change and everything else so what is team wildfire and what is this i'm just going to call it a device right now but it's more than a device um
1: it's a lifestyle uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. It's, it's it's a way of thinking. Well, really, it it basically the idea was that uh, having spoken with many firefighters and watched and participated in the suppression of fires, it's pretty evident that the the overall maj- dominant force in a fire is the wind, right? Mm-hmm. Whichever way, if there's no wind, you have a manageable fire. If there's have a, if you have wind, you have a moving fire, and if you have highly moving winds, you have a f- really fast moving fire. So, you know, in, in addition to incline, that's another factor, right? Fire goes uphill, you know. But but generally, wind is the main variable um, that has been seen as just, you know, you've got to take it what it is. And I said, no, you don't got to take it what it is. Um, we we know how to make wind in movies. We know how to use jet engines and en- enormous fans, small fans, E-fans, you know, all ty- Ritter fans for people in the industry and we can control wind so when the firefighters told me like hey guys it would take a hurricane to you know counter these these fires i said okay great how big a hurricane do you need and that was baffling because there's nowhere in the fire service where they teach you that you can control wind except the little fans that they use to push the smoke out of a you know apartment fire Mm -hmm. so, but I thought, you know what, if we got some big jet engines like this, you got 20-mile-an-hour winds coming in, bringing you a fire, hey, you push back at 40, 50, 200 miles an hour. You knock all that burning stuff back into the area that's already burned. You push those flame tips back so that the heat is pointing back at the char or the black zone uh, ra- rather than allowing it to advance You know, with those adverse winds.
0: So yeah, that was the yeah.
1: basic idea, and you know, and I figured who's going to listen to this mad scientist from Hollywood. So I got some really great partners, uh, Andy Amalfitano and Dan Eamon, who were both fire chiefs. And I brought them over and I said, you know, what do you guys think about this? Am I totally in left field here? And they actually left their day jobs to come full time with Tim wildfire because they think this is really revolutionary technology. That's going to save property, save homes and save firefighters lives.
0: You know, a couple of things about this. Like you said, control is one word. And like I said, wind controls the direction of the fire oftentimes in the wildfire. Yeah. So if you're if you're controlling the wind and directing it, you're now control. The other thing I'm thinking too is your jet engines aren't meant to really. This is my thinking. Put out the fire. It's uh, a suppression to push it back to where it's already burned, so it won't uh, burn any further. Is that the my thinking? It? Yeah,
1: it is. So you really have to think about fire in terms of four components. Mm -hmm. So you have fuel, which is the thing that's burning. You have oxygen, which is the gas that is necessary to perpetuate that reaction. You have the chemical reaction itself, where the fuel and the oxygen combined, and you have heat. And you have to have all four of those things in order to have fire. If you take away any one of them, the fire goes out. So you could simply use a jet engine to remove the fuel, right? Blow the leaves off the trees, blow away the debris, the the twigs, the brush on the ground, just like a hurricane would. And and so you're removing fuel. You can also apply suppressants and retardants uh, that are water-based. And when they hit the heat, they evaporate. Where does the energy come from to make that water evaporate? It's absorbed from the fire. So you're taking away the heat and you're creating evaporative cooling. This is the feeling that you get when you step out of the shower and you get cold. And if it's drafty, you get extra cold because as the water evaporates, it draws heat with it. Uh, So, and then of course, as it turns into steam, steam is, you know, made out of H2O, right? Not O2, and therefore steam does not contain oxygen. And so, you have this massive expansion of gases that are not oxygen, so you're removing the oxygen. And then you're also using convection, which is when you use wind to blow, you know, or air to to move heat. So with this one technology, you can remove the fuel, you can remove the oxygen, you can remove the heat, and you can stop the chemical reaction. Mm. Only one of those would be necessary, but the fact that you could do all four means you have a really good chance of knocking down a fire redirecting it, or stopping it in its tracks. You can also get out in front of a fire, right? You don't have to fight the fire itself, which would be the most dangerous thing you could do. You could say, you know, let's go to this easily accessible area, you know, a quarter of a mile in front of the fire and use the jet engine to spray out a 500 foot wide swath of long-term vegetation retardant. And then you just let the fire do its thing and it reaches the retardant and then it it stops because there are chemicals already on those fuels that prevent them from combining with oxygen. And so you can use that not only in, in advance of a fire, but you could use that to protect evacuation routes, like drive down that highway where you know the people are heading to get away from that fire, lay out that retardant on both sides of the road so that as the fire comes, it doesn't burn up the road or cause the trees on either side of the road to burn and fall and block the evacuation route. That's, you know, a big cause of death.
0: You know, the funny thing about all this is we're talking about saving, really saving vegetation, saving lives, saving nature. But then you have folks um, ask you this, how safe is that fire retardant? Is it going to poison that land? Is it going to poison the animals? So I'm going to ask you, Steve, um, Biodegradable, the, uh, the retardant. <laughs> yeah, right. What is it?
1: Well, I can tell you that the death rate for animals in a wildfire is 100%. Yeah. Uh, so anything less than that is a win. Yeah. yeah. And that would be worst case, right, if we were using something bad. But in most cases, we're just using salts. In, in fact, salts that are gathered up from the, the salt flats. And then they're typically colored with some type of a dye, so you can see where you put them and where you haven't put them. So yes, salt is not the greatest thing for vegetation, right? If you want to kill weeds, you spray, you know, a mixture of salt water and vinegar on them, uh, but then they grow back, right? The, the salt washes out eventually with the rain, and then you have virgin soil again, which can support growth again. And you could actually use this giant, you know, spray can on wheels, essentially, uh, to lay out other materials after the fire, right? You could use this for mop-up to make sure things don't reignite, you could spray soil enhancers to uh, fix that problem of sterilize, heat sterilized soil. You could use it to spray seeds, so you can revegetate and create new roots to counter the mudslides that typically follow these these fires. So you can use it for a lot of good things, and and but you're absolutely right. You you can't just go spray whatever you want on the forest. At least you know. At least well. You could if you're on private property, but uh, for the most part, we don't want to put anything bad out there um, because the effects of the fire will be nullified over time, right? Mm-hmm. You come back 30, 50, 100 years later, the forest is all regrown. The people have put their houses back where they shouldn't be. Like eventually there'll be no sign of the fire. Yeah. So, yeah. so you don't want to leave, you know, forever chemicals, PFAS, uh, all these kinds of things around. You know and the industry's coming around on that they're realizing uh that they have to adopt the same rules that doctors adopt you know first rule do no harm so you're absolutely right there chuck
0: now um i was just thinking here that why is it that this is not more widely used i mean it's got multi-purpose uh your wildfire jet engines on wheels don't just put out fires they can do the work after Uh, they could do things before there's a lot of things that it sounds like this can do pre um, and post Uh, and we know that wildfires cost billions of dollars and it happens every year it takes lives Um, so what's the problem why aren't um, fire departments, firefighters, the, the government, the U.S. government, Forestry Service using this, or at least well, they, implementing they will. it
1: more. They, they will. Okay. You know, before be, the day before Jonas Salk invented the polio vaccine, nobody was using a polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. Then somebody invents it, people realize what it does, and then pretty soon everybody's using it. Yeah. And so I imagine this will be the same thing. You know, the technology wasn't there, or at least it wasn't there in the context of the fire suppression industry. Um, And now it is. And so uh, we'll show it to people. And I imagine adoption will be, you know, quick and wide. Uh, Because as you said, this is an international problem. There's no country right now that's not struggling with wildfires. I kind of divide the world into two places, Chuck. There's places that are on fire and places that are going to be on fire. (laughs) If you're on fire, you're already in a pretty desperate situation. If you're going to be on fire, you should be thinking ahead, which... Governments aren't so great at doing. We, we run more of a reactive world than a proactive world.
0: You know, we, we do. And that goes across the board on really everything and anything. Uh, Steve, how, how new is this? Like you said, the technology has been there, but it has not been put in the context of using it this way. Um, so how, how new is this?
1: Well, I thought of this idea about 10 years ago of using jet engines Uh, to control wildfires originally i was working on the set of a tom cruise movie called the firm and i made a little leaf fire i guess it was supposed to be fall right so they were showing a little leaf fire and the director uh, Sidney Pollock had come up to me after the scene and he's like hey great job steve your fire looks great all right you don't have to put it out but it can't stay here so it's like okay i don't have to put it out but it can't stay here all right, wise ass. Uh, so I picked up a leaf blower and I moved the fire, I, like literally moved all the burning fuels, you know, 30 feet away so that they could have that real estate to put the camera on. And then I just started ruminating that o- over the years, you know, using air to, to relocate fuels and to control fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wondered what if we upscaled this idea of the leaf blower and we took it up to something as massive as a jet engine? Could we take trees that are on fire and literally blow them back? Could we blow the burning leaves off of trees? Could we blow the unburned leaves off of trees that are in the path of the fire so that it's hard for them to ignite? So, uh, you know, I was busy with uh, movies and life and teaching science and all this other stuff. So this just kind of was a background idea for a long time Mm -hmm. until I moved to Boulder, Colorado and looked out my window one night and watched the Marshall fire burn down a thousand homes in a matter of hours. And I was, I was on the rescue squad here. I knew a lot of the guys who responded on that fire and I went and talked to them the next day. And I said, I've been thinking about this thing with the jet engines. Do you think that would have been any help? And they looked at it and they said, they said, it's the only thing that would have been any help. So I took advantage of the, uh, the lull that we got during COVID when everything else was shut down. And that gave me basically a year to sit at my desk with no distractions and work on the patent for this technology. And once I had it patented and I had made some nice crayon drawings of what I thought it might look like, you know, I shared them with some investors and uh, Tim Draper was the first guy to hop on board this. Uh, typically when people are investing and writing a big check, you know, who's your company, who's your people, what's your bank account, where, Where's you know, all these questions, which they call due diligence, uh, in the case of working with Tim Draper, he just, he saw this idea and he said right away, like, this is a crazy problem, crazy solution. Let's go for it. And sent us a half million bucks to get started. So Um. we used that money to build some prototypes and put our company team wildfire in a position where we could then raise some more money Uh, we just closed a 3.7 million dollar round so now we're really getting serious it's not a hobby uh it's you know the full-time focus now is what type of machines do we have to build now in order to give firefighting teams the technology that they need to get in front of these fires and to really get a handle on them
0: uh, yeah, with this jet engine technology and, and you know suppressing the fire and things like that, uh, pushing back fire lines. Do you have to be right there? Meaning, you've got to back the truck up. You know, and you got to you got to be within ten feet. Or because, like you said, you could you could control. You can have a twenty mile an hour wind. You could have a two hundred mile an hour wind. Can you be a safe distance away? I'm just asking that. We know that it's safe yeah, distance, it's, and everything. But I'm asking. Convenient.
1: You know, you could be as far away as you, as you want because machines like this can be operated by remote control. Uh, eventually, I hope these machines will be autonomous. Uh, you know, you'll set them down in the area of a fire, they'll download the latest satellite data, they'll check the weather, they'll check this and that, they'll figure out the best, the best navigable route to the spot where they need to be to put the fire out, they'll drive themselves up there, blow out fire, reload themselves, and drive home, and you change the oil, and bring them to the next fire. So we certainly could be to that point mm-hmm. uh, if if wildfires were managed by the military, we'd have been there 20 years ago. You yeah, know, but yeah. but right, everything would be you know, uh, Lockheed Martin and and Hughes Aerospace, and you know they'd have all the cool technology uh, that wildfires now need. And now that wildfires are finally being seen as you know as a threat to national security, as they certainly are. They, If a town is destroyed because, you know, Russia nuked it or because a wildfire took it out, it's just as destroyed either way. So the threat really needs to be looked at equally regardless of what the source is. Um, So but but to come come back to your question. uh, Yes, the best place to fight a fire from is in front of the fire. And no, you can't put people in front of a fire. And therefore, when people go to fight a fire, they can't do it from the best position. They have to do it from the flanks, from the back, from the air, but they're doing it from the second best position at best, assuming that so the second best position is someplace they can get to. Uh, but if we can send technology out in front, we could get right in front of that fire and blow it back. Um, so, yeah. Plus, the you have the reach of a jet engine, which is considerably more than a fire hose alone. right? And, it, you know, we're going to have to do a, a lot of experimenting to figure out exactly what the sweet spots are and what the reach of the 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 misting capability is but it's not unusual for jet engines to you know be felt four five six hundred feet away yeah so you know you have quite a bit of range
0: well i'm I'm glad you're talking about the range and everything because one of the things i always used to wonder and you, you see these newsreels with firefighters and you see the buckets of water being dropped but it's like wow it drops 20 cubic feet of water in yeah, right. a, 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 a spot literally a spot, yeah, a spot and you get some overspray, yep. and it's like well uh, what about the line what about the rest yeah so this right. really sounds like it would be it, far yeah. better far more um in suppressing and yeah. out of fire.
1: No, you're right like the two the two big aerial tools are you know airplanes and helicopters mm-hmm. so a helicopter scoops up you know a little bucket they call it a bambi bucket of water and push you know and it it, it impacts maybe a 30 foot Diameter circle of drop, you know, assuming that it drops where you wanted it to. Yeah. And then airplanes, you know, which drop, you know, maybe you know, f- five hundred feet with any accuracy. So, so maybe you could attack a five hundred foot line of fire. You just spent eighty thousand bucks, by the way, to put out <laughs> five hundred feet of fire. So, the math tells me that that's something like hundred and sixty dollars per foot to yeah. Yeah. to attack uh, aerially. And then of course what hap- what happens to the plane after it drops? It's got to fly back to an airport. It's got to get refueled, it's got to get refilled. So, it's an hour and a half turnaround time before that plane can come back and by, you know, in an hour and a half it's a whole new fire. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's not it's not very efficient. Now, obviously there's some places airplanes can get to that no terrestrial vehicle could go, right? Sure. There's you know, super packed forestry areas or places where there's just no navigable road in, in which case you know aerial is is your way to go or nothing right if there's if it's such a bad area that no, no people could be there you know then maybe you just let it burn and you know you use your resources elsewhere mm-hmm. where there's something you're actually trying to protect yeah um you know.
0: yeah i it, it's I'm shrugging my shoulder because it's, uh, first of all, it's just crazy how the wildfires every single year it just seems like it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not that we're getting more land and it's not that we're getting more forestry because a lot of it's burned away. It's, I suppose, it's again, it's a lot of different things from uh, man made fires, you know, intentionally made, uh, lightning power lines and as you said earlier we are building now into these forested areas and when we live there we we make fire we camp we cook do whatever and then there it is an unintentional wildfire so there's so many different things that we got to look out for and
1: man is not the best species around right where (laughs) if you track our history over the last couple hundred thousand years you know wherever we go destruction follows quickly yeah. If you were to track the, the extinction of, you know, of edible mammals, you know, it, it follows the movement of humans as we moved out of Africa and moved around the world everywhere we went. You know, we hunted things to extinction. We're, we're just, you know, when we're not busy killing ourselves, right, we're, we're killing other animals or killing the planet. Yeah. So uh, what we have to, you know, we, we have this big brain and it's just often misdirected or d- directed without kindness, yeah. Uh, so we just have to be a little bit more thoughtful about how we uh, impact each other, how we impact our our climate and our host planet uh, and, and take better care of it because, you know, we might want to stay. Yeah, exactly. State, right. Don't trash it up too badly. So as the climate has gotten warmer, uh, that means that there's more evaporation going on. Right. So that means that uh, foliage becomes drier. Mm -hmm. and therefore more flammable. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot of environmental factors that contribute to the growth of wildfires. So it's both that we're moving into these areas that are called the WUI, Wildland Urban Interface, and we're creating a climate that's more conducive to fire. So that combination of things uh, means that we're going to have a lot more fire-related damage in the coming decades, the... uh, the conservative estimate is that we're going to see 30% more fire uh, by 2050.
0: Well, you know, some of the other things here, if the people who are about climate change into um, air pollution and things like that, you got to think about the pollution and what, what wildfires actually do uh, as far yes. as that breathable air and pollution. And it doesn't just affect, you know, that 5 or 10 or 1,000 or 10,000 acre area those clouds of smoke and ash and everything just go miles and miles and miles. So using a technology such as yours to, to you're preventing a number of different things from happening health wise, life wise, everything.
1: Yeah. In fact, when you have a fire in an area, that area is probably less affected, even though it's obliterated, than the, the ensuing damage that then travels the globe. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we talk about something called carbon sequestration and this nonsense called carbon credits, right? Well, we wanna get carbon out of the air, right? Because it's it's creating a blanket that's holding heat in and that's causing our planet to heat up. So one thing we could do is stop burning up the planet, which obviously adds more heat to the atmosphere, t- 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 right? And there's no more perfect carbon sequestration technology than a tree, right? It starts as a little seed and it ends up as a you know, two or three ton thing. Where did those tons come from? They come from carbon that was pulled out of the air. So that carbon is held in wood. When you burn that tree up, you just release all that carbon back. But you don't do it in a clean way. You do it in a way that creates a lot of heat and a lot of soot. And the problem with soot is that soot is black And if you've ever put your hand on a black car in the summer versus a white car, you'll see that black things absorb and create more heat uh, rather than reflecting it. So when you put more black soot into the atmosphere, when that soot is hit by the sun, it causes that atmosphere to heat more than untainted atmosphere where there's no sooty smoke. So you're releasing all this carbon, you're releasing all this heat, and you're creating atmosphere that itself generates more heat so when you stop that fire you're really stopping this whole chain reaction of things that are very bad for the planet and bad for us right when new york city was breathing the smoke last summer i felt like oh thank goodness now that it's real to new yorkers they'll believe that it exists in the rest of the world having been uh, you know a new yorker i thought that down south meant you know down by nyu uh right that 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 it's it's a it's a very provincial little island but but outside the planet you know there's a out or outside manhattan there's a place called the usa right so they've seen it and now and they've breathed it and they realize this is a real problem for for everybody uh we all share the same atmosphere you can't have a fire in canada that's not going to affect the united states and beyond uh, yeah. You can't have greenhouse gases being generated in China that don't heat the rest of the planet. So we really need to focus on our interdependence and our cooperation and realizing that no one can be a bad actor without hurting other people. Yeah.
0: And I think if if people that are listening or watching, it, if you can't wrap your, your head around uh, what Steve is talking about as far as the – the lingering effect and the the outreaching effect think of it this way if you own a fireplace you you clean your fireplace right every once in a while because it gets all the black soot in there the other thing is if you ever go out if you've done a campfire and that fire is burning the smoke is going what do you do you try to get away from the smoke because it's hard to breathe it's the same thing with what happens with the wildfires you know it's too hot you get the smoke it's affecting a lot more than just burning uh the ground and everything around it it does so much more to um to our living conditions
1: so well if you want a fireplace you're also just uh you know you're, you're ter- turning sequestered carbon in the wood into uh, <laughs> co2 and soot and you're basically just running a mini wildfire yeah. in terms yeah. of the ecological effect um, but everyone wants their fire, just like everyone wants their, you know, their SUV. Uh, and we all think that our little negative impact, you know, oh, what, what harm could that do? Uh, but really, it adds up. Yeah. And when we yeah. start doing things in the good direction, you know, that adds up too. That every, every you know that- little benefit makes things better.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because, yeah, every little bad thing we do adds up to a big bad thing. And in turn, every little thing that we do can add up as well. So my question to you is, Steve, is what can each one of us do that are listening and watching right now to, to help you, to help Team Wildfire to either get the word out or to make this happen more uh, in a, in a large-scale factor?
1: Well, um, learn about wildfire, uh, learn about how wildfire impacts you and acknowledge that wildfires impact you, even if you don't live in California or don't live in Australia. Right? We're all breathing that same air. So how are we going to take care of the, the air? Uh, and really, how are we going to take care of our planet? If, if we hadn't been doing the things that are causing the planet to warm, we wouldn't be dealing with the fires now. Uh, and fires get a very strong reaction because they're very visual, and the sense of the the threat is highly perceivable, right? You can literally see the fire burning, and so you have to do something about it. Whereas when you just read the latest UN report about, you know, something went up 0.7 degrees Celsius, whatever, like, uh, whatever, you know, and then people go back to business as usual, not realizing that there's just as much of an impact and there's going to be a a cost to that, that if we were smart, we would, we would get out ahead of and address. Yeah. 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 But we're not that smart.
0: No, uh, we uh, still uh, have a lot of learning.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but, but I mean, ultimately it doesn't matter so much, right? Like we're, we're one species, no species lives forever. Uh, we may make the planet inhabitable, and in which case the planet might turn around and make us inha- uninhabited. Uh, but the, the rock will still be here. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, different flora and fauna will grow that survive under hotter conditions. It just might not be humans. Um, so in in the long run, it's not uh, something we have to worry about. Uh, but in the short run, for those of us who... Um, Enjoy this planet the way it is, or ha- have children and grandchildren, and we would like them to be able to experience the wilderness the way we may have or wished we had uh, then you know we sh- we should really take care of things right i I, lo- I you know I love to go out for a walk in the woods, and I hope that when my sons grow up there's woods there for them to go walk in, and that they're able to experience that with their kids, so for me it's a very personal uh passion project uh if i get paid for it that that's great too and it you know my mortgage company appreciates it as well but you know i i'm here because the, this is important to me uh, because i really want to you know not see us lose the natural assets that we have on the planet yeah. and i don't want to see uh firefighters die and i don't want to see their children orphaned because we've been too slow to adopt a technology that could make fire suppression safer. Yeah. And that, that's, that's really what tugs at me. There's a, there's a photograph you could find online easily, or I'll send it to you, it's a two-year-old girl. She's wearing her dad's fire helmet at his funeral in front of his coffin. And it, to, that is just the saddest thing in the world to me, that uh, a child would grow up without a dad or, or a mom because we stuck them in the way of these raging infernos. It's, yeah. it's absolutely really? primitive. Uh, we have new technologies for dealing with virtually every other aspect of the challenges that we face. You know, we, you know, we don't use leeches anymore, right? We, we have very advanced methods for uh, tr- treating people medically. We have advanced methods for dealing with things militarily. But in many cases, we're still using 6,000-year-old technology uh, when it comes to wildfires yeah and maybe six thousand years ago you know an axe was the way to go and fires weren't that bad but fires are bad now and they're costly and the technology just has to catch up
0: you know you're absolutely right about that i mean if you really think about it we're using technology currently we're using technology that's been used for thousands of years that's an axe and a bucket of water yeah that's right
1: I mean, a fire truck is just a a modern bucket of water. Yeah,
0: it's just a a form to get a means to get the bucket of water from one place to the next. But we're still using that bucket of water.
1: And mist is much more efficient than water. mm -hmm. So on on the order of uh, six times more efficient. So if we consider uh, potable water an asset, then um, using less of it is a good thing. Yeah. If we, if we can use less, if we, sorry, if we can put out fires with less water, then that makes the fire suppression project much easier yeah. and much less costly in terms of the natural resource of fr- fresh water.
0: Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's something you said just a few minutes ago, as far as, you know, th- this is, you have family, you want to preserve things for your kids and your kids, kids and things like that. Um, I want everybody to really realize, yeah, this is not just Steve's place. It's not just Chuck's place. This m- Blue Marble is our place. So we, we need to do what we can to take care of it, not just for ourselves or for our kids, but for everyone. So just really you know, have an open mind and think about it that way. Uh, I want to ask, and if I don't know if you want to respond to this, but... Cost-effectiveness, or the cost of uh, making these um, jet-engine turbine hurricane wheels—it uh, let me put it this way:
1: it they, costs they cost billions. about the same as a, as a well-equipped fire truck. Okay, there it is. So uh, there's a there's a greenness to it in that we're repurposing jet engines that have come to the end of their useful flight life, which is thirty thousand hours and we're giving them new life uh in in fire suppression okay where uh, otherwise uh, they would just you know contribute to our our enormous trash heap okay um so there's a a recycled component to this and then the cost of operating it uh is considerably cheaper on a suppression per linear foot basis than doing this with airplanes we could be putting out fire for you know for five or 10 bucks a foot versus 160 dollars a foot from airplanes yeah so it's it's considerably cheaper and and you don't have to leave right we don't have to go away and refuel you bring fuel to the truck you bring water to the truck uh we've reworked these engines so that they run on regular diesel so we don't have to go chasing down jet fuel there's always diesel at a fire because all the trucks run on diesel There's always there's already an infrastructure for bringing water to fires, so we don't have to reinvent that either. But we are able to put out the fire, you know, f- faster, cheaper, more efficiently, use less water, because mist, you know, is tiny little particles that have huge surface area relative to a stream of water, yes. and that additional yes. surface area creates more interaction opportunity for the suppressant chemicals with the fuels. And more surface area for absorbing the heat from the fire. Yeah. So, you know, just like when you are hot in the summer, you know, you don't spray yourself with a squirt gun; you spray yourself with a misting fan.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a good way of putting that. I mean, you, you could you use a squirt to...
1: gun. I'm not saying you couldn't. You know, but yeah, I, yeah, but it's you're going to get more cooling effect from the mist. Sure.
0: I remember going to all these at uh, theme parks, and that's what they have. They have misters. You know
1: Right. Well, what we're building is basically just a giant misting fan that instead of powered by, you know, a little electric motor, it's powered by a jet engine. Yep. And if a better way comes along to drive that mist, we'll switch to that. It's just right now there's no more efficient way to move large quantities of air at high velocity than using a jet engine.
0: Yeah. Uh, this actually has been really informative. Um, I shouldn't say actually I knew it was going to be informative, <laughs> so it's just, I'm glad there are folks like you out there, Steve, that are doing something about this, because, again, I'm going to say it, every year we, we see in the news, we hear about more and more wildfires, however they start, there are more, and you mentioned Australia, you know, they had that terrible one a few years back, which is, you know, millions of animals, species have been wiped out, yes. um, land has been scorched uh and that happens here, all the time. So yep. Uh,
1: you, you, yeah, no, you, you know, Greece. We almost lost the, the Parthenon this year, and the Acropolis is threatened. Uh, so, one of the real dangers is that most places have wildfires occasionally, and if they choose to fight those fires, you know, domestically, then that means that they're fighting the fire using people who don't fight fires, wildfires, for a living. Mm. Right, If you get a really bad fire, you know, once a year, once every two or three years, how much wildfire fighting experience can those people have? And lots of areas have volunteer firefighters. So that means they're, you know, not full-time firefighters with very little experience against wildfires and therefore very high fatality rates. Yeah. Whereas if you had, you know, one company, and that's my vision for Team Wildfire, we develop ultimate expertise in managing wildfire. And then wherever the fire is, we go put it out. Whether it's in Australia, Greece, Brazil, Portugal, you know, that why send local people with minimal training and minimal technology to their deaths when you could send in, you know, the, the A-team essentially yeah, uh, with, with sophisticated technology and advanced methods for making sure that people aren't getting hurt.
0: Well, I want to throw in there that folks, you can go to uh, teamwildfire.com. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Yep. And, yeah, and we could... post regularly there. So we're still doing a, lot of, a, a tremendous amount of research, a lot of R and D um, to figure out how to optimize this technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've built three out of the four variants that we think are necessary. The fourth one is the enormous one. And we think we'll have that uh, prototype finished in March. Um, but we post to our YouTube page, which you can link to off teamwildfire.com, Uh, and if you want to, you know, see us playing with the mist chambers or playing with the jet engine, I say playing because, uh, you know, even though this happens to be our work, um, it's exactly what I'd be doing, you know, even if there weren't a nickel involved, if yeah. I was a billionaire, I'd be in my lab every day, just the same way, you know, uh, experiencing the pleasure of discovery and invention.
0: Well, that's how so. you improve and make things better, too, is you, you play with the tools that you have and you discover. So. Yes. And not everyone has to do it. Right. right. Everyone
1: has sure. their own skill set. You know, how many people enjoy the benefits of electric light these days? <laughs> everyone. Right. Yeah, everyone. But how many people invented it? One guy. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: One One Thomas Edison created it. And now everyone benefits from it. So we don't need to have every student have, doesn't have to become a brilliant STEM engineer. As long as we have enough of them to solve the problems that we're facing, yeah. and you know, yes, we could use more of them, though uh, as, certainly in the United States. That's uh,
0: once again, uh, folks, go to uh, TeamWildfire.com. Check out everything. Uh, like Steve said, you could link to the YouTube channel there. You could watch some of the videos, and as he said, you could watch them play with uh, the tools that they have and. You know, you might have an idea, you might want to send them or you might want to help out in any way.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I love collaboration. And just the way I looked at this problem and saw it differently. Someone else is going to look at it and see it differently than I will. And there might be tremendous value in what some, you know, six year old girl sees when she watches that YouTube channel and says, what about if we did this? And yeah. we try it, and it makes all the difference in the world. So yeah. we never know where our next great idea is going to come from. So you, you have to stay open to that.
0: Yeah, uh, Steve, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, again, it was very informative and very necessary. Um, necessary to save lives, necessary to save the planet. Uh, so some might think that sounds corny, but it's true. You know, and, and at least it's a necessity to save lives.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Uh, that's, that's the goal yep. uh, to, you know, save lives and save quality of life. Yep. Because hundreds of thousands of kids are now, you know, living on Ventolin, you now Buterol, because the wildfire smoke has made their air unbreathable for them. Yeah. Wow. So we'll, we'll, we'll get through as, you know, as, as much problems as humans create, they're also in, an ingenious species. And we solve problems that, uh, people have frequently characterized as unsolvable. Yeah. And yet and we continue to amaze ourselves uh with human ingenuity, uh with resourcefulness, with creativity. So, yes, the problems are are horrible uh and and sad and you know tragic. But uh for every problem there's at least one good solution and uh, some kid in elementary school is going to have the next brilliant one.
0: Yep. Uh, There is someone out there. Uh, Yes. Again, thank you very much.
1: Chuck, thank you so much for having me on your show today.